Welcome to the second season of the Mastering the Mind podcast, where we will now be exploring the exciting and fast-growing world of esports. We will be interviewing a variety of professional esports players, coaches, and stakeholders in order to better understand the psychological demands of competing at the elite level and the important role the mind plays in esports performance. Today we welcome James Jimmer for short to the podcast. Jimmer is an Australian professional Rocket League head coach for Team Power. Jimmer has coached teams such as Canberra Havoc, Fury and Ground Zero. Some of Jimmer's achievements as a coach include RLCS Season 9 OCE Vice Champions with Fury, winning five events in the RLCS Season X 2021, which includes OCE Championships, winning the Asia Maritime and OCE Regional Finals in 2021 with Australia. Outside of esports, Jimmer is a qualified educator and holds a bachelor's and master's degree in education. So let's welcome Jimmer to the podcast. Hello, welcome back. I'm Ken <laughs> for this. How's your day been? It's, it's fire yeah. where you're at, right? Yeah, it's... so I sort of just knocked off work. Um, and um, yeah, look, it's um, been a long week, which is good. So um, if you're aware of um, Dan Bernard, uh, he does a lot of sleep psych work. <clears throat> He's got me involved as like a co-investigator for one of his studies at the moment. And that's been um, quite, not challenging, but time consuming, you know, like recruiting participants. So I think we've got 26 Rocket League pros doing the study. So setting up Qualtrics, sort of making sure everything's well vetted, sending out the questionnaires, getting everything all organized. And so basically, yeah, as of tonight, tomorrow and the next day, I'm going to be starting to like basically show the questionnaires to participants and, and um, get them rolling in these studies, which is, you know, it is a little bit stressful, a little bit challenging. So I've lost a little bit of sleep doing that, but I feel like I'm sort of ahead of the hard work now. Like it almost is up to a point where it's like, it's just up to the participants now. (laughs) I've sort of done everything that I can. So uh, it's good. No, yeah. And so how many participants are you looking to to recruit for this for this study? I'm curious. So this one in particular, we wanted as many as possible. I think when we ran it through the proposal and through ethics, it was like we want 24 or more. The more the the really the better. We aimed for 30. Like um Dan, who's the chief investigator of the study, uh, he used to said, Look, if we can get 30, that's like a really good study. And he goes, especially in esports, because um and this is going to be a controversial topic. We can address this later if you're, if you're recording the, the podcast and if you want. But basically, uh, there's a lot of research out there that it, it claim it, it, it researches esports, but like the medium of esports, not necessarily like the top elite professionals. Like there's only a very few studies or academics that actually really get to the tippy top of what esports is like, you know, and there's nothing wrong with researching high school students or maybe a college that has esports. Like that's perfectly legitimate, but we went quite ambitious. We basically said, well, Hey, we want like competing in top level pros of rocket league. So we aimed for 30, a uh, little bit challenging. Like we tried to offer as much as we could to sort of recruit participants. And I think we finally settled on 26. So more than 24, which is good, not quite 30, um, which I'm not overly worried about because I'm, I've sort of taken on because I know the Rocket League scene and hopefully because we've got four investigators in this study, we're hoping that when it comes to recruiting League of Legends and CSGO, the others can sort of roll with that. And I've no idea what the recruitment looks like because I've never spoken to 
a pro from any other esport before. So, yeah. So I think 26 would be the good part. Um, obviously, you got to suspect that there are some people who might just drop out of the study. We hope that the carrot at the end of the stick. So we're offering coaching sessions and psychology sessions as a bit of like a, Hey, like, you know, please get involved. Uncensored. You know, it's going to be, no, it's, it's, it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be no more than 15 minutes of your time of okay. time. Right. We're going to offer like, like, you know, basically uh, Dan nailed it. Right. He basically said, um, you know, the data is the most important thing in the study. So we'll do what we have to do to get the data. And so I'm sort of selling myself real short, you know, at the moment, but you know, it, it has to be done. So it's, it's good. I, I think you won't struggle with participants. And I think Twitter's fantastic with that. Like I, from my personal experience during my masters, the Twitter community was so helpful, like in terms of sharing and retweeting yeah. and tagging people that might be interested. So I think, yeah, hopefully yeah. everything should be, should be smooth for you, but uh, yeah, definitely. We'll, def we'll definitely share it and, and sort of, help out as, as as much as we can that's for sure no cheers for that like it was really cool to um you know finally see um you know your end of twitter like i know we've only just been talking recently but i, I like I, I kind of said before like i was very unfamiliar um with the mastering the mind sort of podcast and everything and i had a good listen like i i sort of checked out the team and i saw that you guys sort of explored like a lot of areas of like competition and sport and psychology and everything else like you got to have You've got quite a large net on the professionals that you've actually engaged with so far, which is cool, right? Because I feel like many of these podcasts that have come up are quite emergent. There's none that are really well established or not that I'm aware of, right? Like I feel like there's so many up and comers, but when I sort of saw that, you know, you guys already got over 1000 followers, you get a, you get a bit of traction on, on, on your Twitter. It's like, oh, this is really cool to see like i'm glad that um you know you've got a podcast that that has found a bit of traction mm. for sure i think everyone started a podcast during uh lockdown and then uh <laughs> to be fair, it was our vision to sort of be the ones who stay consistent coming out of that because we knew a lot of them would end um so yeah we, we, we've managed to keep that going and hopefully with this esports sort of season uh we take off even more because yeah. it's yeah, our first definitely. time sort of um, attacking sort of a, it's a niche, but it's quite a wide niche. Um, so we'll see how it goes, but we're excited to, you know, get everyone's perspective. Um, had a couple of good guests come on so far and it's been really good conversations. So I'm looking forward to this one as well. Yeah, um, definitely. But yeah, a great place we like to start. You, you briefly mentioned the esport that you're working in. Um for the listeners to get to know you, if you can talk us through your journey to date, so from growing up to where you are now, who is Jimmer? Yeah, who am I? All right, well, yeah, this is a good, good little introduction. I sort of <laughs> got caught up in the moment, but no, um, I, I guess a, a brief background about me is so I, I've grown up loving video games. Like I'm a little bit of a boomer, so I kind of grew up with the Super Nintendo. Those games were were brutal. I love the challenge of it. Um, and, and for me, it really was just my little hobby, right? And I think that's where most gamers kind of come from, right? Like, you know, you sort of start off in maybe the privacy of your own bedroom and you just sort of play games. Um, like competitive games, I, I think, I, you know, I dipped my toes at sort of like casual um casual super smash brothers in high school and you know went to some tournaments there and they're always very much like you know a bit of like a pub stomp kind of thing you know you, you kind of have like maybe one local area um they'll run like a tournament maybe one pro or semi-pro will show up and just sort of clean up but that was really fun and that sort of dipped my toes into like how cool 
esports is. And I never thought much of much of it beyond that. To me, when I thought esports, I always thought of Dota and all that, and 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 those games never really sparked my interest. Um, and it wasn't until Rocket League sort of came along. My mates introduced me to it. I didn't think much of it. Played it instantly. Loved it. And, uh, and that was the first esport that I truly fell in love with. Like I had to follow everything. I, I needed to know what orgs were, 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 were involved, who were the up and coming pros, who had something to lose, who were the underdogs, what are the narratives that are going on? Like I just lived and breathed. And then I found there was like a, you know, a subreddit and everyone was sort of communicating. Twitter started to cultivate a community online and YouTube was always there for content. And before I knew it, I was you know, it was sort of my, um, my go-to hobby. And I found, so living in Australia, watching Australian rules football is sort of how you spend your, um, your time, you know, enjoying competitive play. And I found that I naturally just sort of moved away <laughs> from traditional sports and, and got that thrill out of esports. And, uh, and then how I sort of fell into the position I am now as, as, as the lead coach um, for Power and OCE, the Rocket League team is, um, is I sort of just started meeting some some pros or semi pros just by incident of ranked or in, in streams, um, some community events in person, right? Like just just by complete fluke, I met some of these people and I just sort of said, "Hey, look, I, I'm an educator by trade." Um, they sort of said, oh, "Look, would you like to be involved? Maybe you can offer some skills that maybe we might have gaps in our practice that this could help." Um, I offered some of these things and I just never left. Every team I've, I've sort of joined has performed well or better than expected. And I sort of just naturally progressed through into securing a team that has made um, consistent lands. Uh, so, yeah, that's sort of my story so far. I mean, um, you know, I think when I was talking to <laughs> you about it, John, is it, is it really is like a lot of being at the right place at the right time, but also really identifying um sort of like a niche where i can sort of apply maybe my strengths and skills and and sort of you know what i can what i can bring to the to the scene that that kind of help pave the path mm. yeah definitely for our listeners do you think you could describe what a rocket league coach kind of does what are sort of the daily requirements or daily roles that you sort of, of do with players um if you could shed light on on sort of that a bit more yeah so um right now the roles duties and responsibilities of a rocket league coach i think is really up in the air in fact i i um brought it to twitter once it sort of made like a small post on reddit someone followed it up and really it's just there's no real established what does a coach do and 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 i think that's you know due to esports being in its infancy and especially rocket league it's a fairly green esport as well right it's it's only sort of really blown up recently I, I feel and honestly anyone can call themselves a coach in rocket league you can be a retired pro you can be interested you can have formal qualifications and training and coaching and train and, and 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 all that so um yeah and and so but i find that there are like common themes and and and, and threads in it so i mean you when i typically hear of coaches they are often very much hey i'll um i'll, I'll take the position of i'll analyze um, your replays with or without the players, depending how they go about it. I'll offer maybe some solutions to some gaps that they can identify. They might provide some additional 
services for the players like you know maybe they might be there for some sessions related to goal planning or, or organizing scrims and i think it really depends i know that when i've been at land I've, i'm always curious i'm like hey so you know what's what's your role in the team like like what does an average week look like for you and every coach that i spoke to gave me a completely different experience i mean there are common threads just like i said like hey i'm involved in scrims i do replays and i set goals but some of the duties and responsibilities or the additional stuff they do was wildly different. And I think that's due to esports being like, hey, anyone can put up their hand and anyone can basically say, hey, I'm ready to coach. Um, so <laughs> for a lack of a better answer, I think it really is. It, it's very situational, very contextual. And I find that, yeah, different regions also have different kinds of coaching as well. Yeah. Okay. Um... Yeah, yeah, I've got a question about, you know, mm -hmm. you mentioned that anyone can sort of become a coach. I'm interested to know how you specifically uh, learn the mechanics of the game, like know what to say, like obviously not being an ex-pro, you know, how mm. did you find that challenging? Um, do you play much? And if so, is it is it a lot of you analysing other good players uh, and what they're doing and other good teams uh, and then sort of writing it down and implementing it with your team? Or uh, do you think it helps you being an outsider? like what's your your yeah thing in, in that? yeah you've, you've you've probably hit one of the hardest hitting questions that regularly come up in the community and and, it, and i think it's a very valid question it's like hey every coach is coaching players that are better than them or have all you know been better than the peak of that coach's career whether the coach was an ex-pro or someone who's sort of like maybe semi-pro or even just someone who's sort of come in quite green to the game. Yeah. I think the, I think the question is valid all the time. Like, well, you know, what is it like, how is it that you're able to coach people that are better than you? And, and, and that's a fantastic one. Cause I, I think that addresses the primary question of what a coach is, is like, what can a coach offer that the players already can't do for themselves? And that's a really hard question to grapple with. So yeah. for me in particular, you know, I'm not the greatest player. Like, sure, I made, you know, back in the day, you know, three years ago, I used to play the game quite regularly. I made the top rank. Obviously, the top rank doesn't mean too much because pro players really exceed it. But, you know, I, I sort of got a grasp of the game. I sort of had some in-depth understanding. But I recognized that no matter how good I got, the pro players, and especially a pro team, is going to know more about the game than me. And so for me, rather than sort of like, well, I've got to up that, I've got to make sure my skill set knowledge is, is greater. I feel like that's just a, a rat race that you'll always fail. So I took the other approach, and this comes from my education background, is to take the approach of, well, you know what? The players are a wealth of knowledge. They're grinding the game. They're keeping up with the meta. You know, there's a reason why they're competitive at the moment. So why not tap into their knowledge and experience and, and synthesize your practice with what they actually have. So for me, I know with my team context, I've got Amphis, right? Who's mechanically very gifted, right? So if I ever have like a question or wondering about mechanics, I'll run it by him. I'm like, hey mate, like in this particular situation, what would be best for you? Like, can you, can you run me through? What does that look like? Or I know we've recently picked up Fever as well. Like he's just really good on his day at, at reading the play. And so really picking the player's, brains on that one is really good and and what's fantastic is from a community standpoint sometimes pro players can kind of be blended together like they're just this this op bunch of people but the 
pros see each other as quite diverse. Like they recognize that they've got strengths and weaknesses, their teammates do, their opposition do, right? And so it's really fun to almost tap in and try to facilitate like, hey, how can we as a cohesive unit um, organize ourselves? So, you know, to, to really answer your question is, I really do rely on the players in, in areas where I recognize there's a gap. And I think, you know, for me, yes, I've been, you know, in, in the past, I've been, you know, grand champion a few times. Okay. But at the end of the day, the wealth of knowledge and skills that that the pro players bring, this is a, this is just a wealth of knowledge that you just have to tap into, I feel as a coach. So I've sort of really embraced that and I've used that a lot to inform my practice. Um, but yeah. yeah. I think that's a super like good skill to have as a coach and something I spoke with a Leicester coach. Uh, so I'm from Leicester, Leicester in, uh, in mm. England and uh, I was speaking to him and having humility and, uh, you know, asking the players, you know, what do they think is best is, is a super good skill. I had quite mm. a lot of imposter syndrome when I went to coach at a club, <laughs> um, mm. at a club uh, about three or four years ago when I was about 19 and yeah. I was like, how can I coach these guys who are better than me at football? And it's like, <laughs> it's not until I, I reflected after that experience, like there was so much I could have brought to that because I was so young and naive. Like I didn't realise that at the time. Um, but yeah, I thought I'd share that sort of experience if any no, coach no. out there is, is experiencing that because I think it is quite common. But clearly you've, uh, yeah, you have a wider sort of sense on the situation, which, which is really good. Yeah, um, and... and- just to draw on that one too, I think the imposter syndrome, I went through that massively. Yeah. And, I, and I feel like, I, I don't know what it is. I mean, you guys would be more versed on the topic than me, but I know like when I got my first teaching job, I walked into that classroom and I thought there has to be a mistake. Why am I here? Why are there 20 <laughs> children sitting in front of me? This is ridiculous. And then yeah. at the same time, I remember I, um, I remember, you know, just to sort of cut my story short, I, I joined a team that projected to be sort of a seventh, eighth spot. We came top two, that team made it to land. I joined another team, projected seventh, eighth. We came top two. Again, another land team. Obviously, COVID hit then, so we didn't actually go to land. And then I finally got picked up by a team that was like, you know, established to be like, hey, this is a top three team. This is the team in contention for lands. Like, you know, this is it. And I remember showing up exactly that. I was just like, oh my goodness. Like, like, and I really questioned myself, like, what am I actually going to offer these players? Like, what is it like anything that I bring to the table? Could they already have done? And, yeah. and so, yeah, you know, and, and, and like I said, like that imposter syndrome, that is something that I, I don't even know how to even answer it. If there's any, you know, coaches that are listening to this or anyone who's aspiring is sort of maybe, you know, had that feeling of imposter syndrome, I guess for me, I just sort of leaned into it. I'm like, all right, you know what? Like maybe this is something that I need to sit back, reflect upon and sort of work out like, hey, why do I feel like this? You know, is, is it a level of inadequacy? Do I feel like I've sort of fluked it? And I like that you brought up that um, that coach from Leicester because I, I think, you know, when you really talk to the players, like, hey, lads, like, what do you want me to offer, right? You know, yeah. like, like, like let, let, let's work this through. Like, let's make the conversation um dialogical right we want it to go back and forth here so i think getting that feedback from the players is also essential as well i think giving players ownership is huge as well like that's a that's a huge part of developing a team developing a player um so sort of asking them you know where do you think we should go here is is developing them massively rather than you just telling them Mm. this is how it's going to be this is what you've got to do so i suppose yeah it's, it's beneficial both ways 
and your and that approach that you guys have talked about that's empowering the the, the player the athlete as well it's putting yeah. them in the position to you know be autonomous and make those decisions and i think in that environment i think sort of every player or athlete sort of, sort of thrives um and it's fantastic um, yeah definitely and, and i think for me like you know when you lean into that player agency and you recognize how important it is like I always try to think about it and, and, and it's, it's, it's challenging to do because sometimes it's like, you know, you know where you have to go forward and, and you sort of want to push it, but you know, you're in a team environment, right? You have to make sure everybody's sort of on board and, and, and it can be a little bit challenging, but I know that in the past, and this is from again, tapping into sort of my experience as an educator is when you allow students in, in a school setting to have authorship of over their owning uh, i'm sorry over their over their learning right that they get to sort of you know decide where they move with their learning right that's it, maybe it's a task that's quite open-ended they have a lot of agency in how they maybe direct it um you know you see the motivation you see the the, the aspiration to move forward in it they they really claim it as their own they can reflect upon it and everything else and i've noticed that when i've sort of brought that into my coaching as well like really embracing that that player ownership it's like hey like you know you're going to help author this this experience and it's kind of cool because it means when sort of maybe things fall a bit short or a bit flat maybe the program didn't go as well as expected it's really cool when everyone can get on board about you know what we offered these ideas we wanted to sort of plan our 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 scrim blocks like this and we wanted to move our goals in this particular direction and some work some fell short it's really cool because then i feel like you have the players with complete, with a almost complete buy-in, you know, they, they, they really embrace the program. They feel like as if, um, you know, they're really part of the the project, you know, it's not just a coach, Hey, this is what you're going to do where you go. It falls flat. They're like, well, my coach didn't really have my back there. Like what's going on here. So I think, you know, it's absolutely a necessity and it's kind of cool that, you know, the more coaches I've sort of spoken to um, have really recognized that, you know, player input is almost, essential like I, I can't imagine a successful team without some degree of dialogue which goes backwards and forwards and, and sort of provides feedback and and, and influence on, on the programming that happens moving forward definitely mm. um i had a question for you so yeah. how it, how important do you think is creating that sort of standard in esports like for, in terms of coaching sort of like that role clarity um and how do you think it sort of impacts like the organization as a whole and sort of the dynamic there with like the players or even other staff members um yeah tell me more about that okay issue. yeah so can you can you elaborate on that one a bit more so in terms of um like the standard of like how i you know in terms of like play agency or how i conduct myself or what do you in terms of like, so you mentioned at the start that sometimes you wear different hats. So maybe you might be more in the sort of analysis or you might be more in the management as a coach or, you know, sort of. Oh, definitely. Yeah, just going, yeah. I'm jumping like way back, but it was really a yeah. question I was interested in. No, in no, no, like, yeah. yeah. No, I, I, I get you, I get you. Yeah, so um, that's really hard to know. I mean, because sometimes even when I've had a really successful week in my coaching, I'll sometimes feel like, hey, what? was that was that really the best way you know was that the most you know did i get the bang for my buck with my time did the, was the player buying the best it could be and it's really hard right because i know within a professional setting right so once again i'm going to draw my attention back to schools 
it's very easy to um, understand, you know, the expectations as an explicit curriculum. You've got chains of, of management and leadership that you can reflect off, bounce back with. It's, it's almost like, you know, it's almost impossible in a school to leave stones unchecked, right? That there's always something there to, you know, to sort of maybe pull you back in on track, right? But when it's sort of you... Um, flying solo in a way and, and i feel like a lot of coaches can get a little bit isolated i know i've spoken with some coaches and and i sort of asked them it's like hey so you know like how do you get feedback about your practice like how do you know if your practice is, is working well and they go well actually the only feedback i get is is, is if we're winning and i'm like and that's the only measure you've got it's like yeah that that that's really it and i feel like that puts a lot of coaches at risks because that basically means like hey if you're no longer winning you're out of a job, right? And I feel like that's why coaching turnover is so high because it's very difficult to measure the efficacy of coaches. Um, and I'm happy to go into further conversations because I've sort of been fleshing this out with some with some coaches recently, especially with the, especially with these roster changes. But also, yeah, I I do feel like because orgs are so, and this may, this might only really apply to Rocket League. I feel like coaches are, are fairly new. Like I feel like if you go back maybe two and a half years ago. You know, coaches were sporadically spread across Rocket League. You know, some teams might not even have one at all, right? And they and they perform just as you know, just as well as any other team. But now it 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 really is a standard. Like it's very rare to find a team that has an option for a coach. There might only be like one or two teams in the competitive league that don't have a coach. And maybe at one land you might have a team that doesn't have a coach, right? And so, um, and and I feel like um you know, with this sort of emergence of, you know, teams just by getting a coach because they feel like, hey, well, if every other team's doing it, we've got to do it. Orgs are also kind of in the dark as well. Like I know I've spoken to some orgs before and they're like, well, we don't really know how to measure the efficacy of our coach other than if they're getting the results or not. So I'm not too sure how to really answer that question, but I, I, I do hope that there are other ways that coaches can be embedded within their organizations or in their league or somewhere on their team. I'm, I'm, I'm unsure what this would look like, but a way that sort of not secures their positions, but, but lets sort of the organization recognize, you know, um, I guess the efficacy of the coach, right. I, like besides, you know, their immediate or short-term um, results. So I know for me, uh, and, you know, and I guess this will answer the question is I, is I try to basically, you know, teach within my, or so I coach within my, within my skill set, right? So I've got an X amount of skills um, and I try to incorporate that across the, the org or the team as much as possible, right? And so it's sort of like my practice is a little bit more explicitly known across the whole organization. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, and if you're sort of touched on something that, you know, I, I think is going to be quite interesting. Like I'm very curious to know, how coaches are going to look in another five years of this practice like would there be maybe a like a standard of hey we have an expectation of x amount of industry experience with like some kind of qualification and or professional development that we sort of expect our coaches to go through Mm. oh yeah it's fascinating um (laughs) for sure for sure so you spoke a lot there about being a coach but i wanted to sort of dive more into your philosophy and sort of your values what you like to implement within the team. Um, yeah, what are sort of your values as a coach and, and you like to implement with your players? Yeah, so values is one of those... Um, it, it's an interesting topic, right? Because I know 
Um, but when I've brought on um, like Dan, our, our, our team psych on board, you know, he's really big. And I guess this is his psych background speaking on value-based decision-making. Right. So we tried to, you know, um, create team values that, you know, purport to our own values that we, we feel will be conducive to a successful team culture that will, you know, effectively be a, a good competitive team. Right. And, uh, and we work out ways that we can, you know, ap apply these values um, within our regular practice, right. Whether it's game day scrims, how we talk to each other when maybe the chips are down it, in scrims, whatever it is. Right. And I guess for me, um, you know, I've got a lot of values that I sort of, you know, draw my attention to. I mean, you know, and these are very personal ones too. Like, you know, like I really value honesty. I really value resilience and integrity, all these things, right? But I think for me, where I really ground my practice, like, you know, these are things that I, I, I hold myself accountable to. And if I can offer them to the team, you know, that's there and whatever the players have, you know, I, I've, I've done little things where we've sort of spoken about, Hey, like, what do we value? Like, like, and, and what do we value in the people that we admire in the game? Right. Like, like what kind of team do we want to be? And when we envision what that team is, what do you think that team would value? And it's fun exploring these things, right. And, you know, players all value different things and we sort of weigh it up into like our ideal and successful team, which is, a great exercise but i think for me like my overall philosophy um that, that really drives my practice and i think it goes back to what i was talking about before is is i think it, it really does draw attention to the ideas of of um of constructivism and sort of pragmatism as well right and by constructivism i'm really referring to it's like that the knowledge and skills that we bring about is co-constructed within the team right it's not sort of like there's these things that we sort of like grab onto like hey here's an idea we grab this here's an idea we'll, we'll grab that it's sort of you know through our practice of reviewing goal setting assessing reviewing again repeating these cycles we and and having that ongoing dialogue we begin to sort of create and and construct how we sort of understand um our game plan how we want to how we want to conduct ourselves as a team so that's sort of been my driving philosophy and and, you know, and, and pragmatism, I think naturally like aligns of that practice, right? And, and not to get too philosophical with it, but when we sort of talk about pragmatic truth, it's, you know, it's, we can sort of determine things as true insofar as that they work or function in, in, in our experience, right? Um, so I've really drawn, and, and this is sort of my own practice now, if there's, you know, if there's coaches listening to this one, you know, you can, you can gravitate. There's so many different philosophies out there. You'll find that, um, you'll, you know, if you check into any university, there'll be all sorts of theories, frameworks and other philosophies that you can adopt. But for me, like I've, I've been really big on like the work of, let's say like John Dewey, for example, like he's sort of, a um, you know, an academic and, and philosopher of his time that really, uh, even though he sort of, the bulk of his work was sort of like in the 1930s, you know, into the early 50s, I, I thought his philosophy related to constructivism and pragmatism was really spot on for me. And so I, I try in my way, and, and this is sort of me ranting, my, my teacher rant again, is that when I, and I'll do it one more time because, and I'm really passionate about this one. So when, when I plan something out, so let's say, and my plan will look like a scope and sequence. So my scope is how much am I going to look at, right? Because obviously, you know, we can look at everything and that's just a bit of a mess or it might be too narrow and it's not a very rich experience. So your scope is how much do you want to focus on 
in whatever period of time, right? Because that's also part of your scope. Maybe you want to take a macro shot of the whole season. Maybe you want to shorten that scope down to a month, maybe even a week as well, you know, like a bite size kind of thing. So when you work out your scope, you'd actually will work out your sequence as well. So how, how are you going to move forward within that scope that you're going to focus on? And I think whenever I sort of begin to plan things out, I always try to, at the very end of it, I'll sort of step away from my computer and I'll think, does this align with my philosophies and my values? Like if I just sort of slap this thing together to sort of maybe like, oh, it's been a busy week, I better get something rolling for the boys. Or is this going to be really rich and it aligns with what I understand learning is, what I understand good organizational coaching looks like, whatever it might be. And I sort of run it through this filter of like, is everything that I've adopted does it have integrity to how I understand my coaching, what I value in my coaching? Do the players respond to this well? And I kind of run it through. And then that's sort of like my little appraisal, like, yep, I think this is going to be a great program. And I'll roll through it and I'll tell the boys like, hey, lads, I've been thinking about it for a little bit. This is how I imagine the season going to look. I'm going to run through maybe some of these topics in the next month or so. But for this week, here's our focus and here's some activities that I've got. Some activities that they love, some are a bit maybe monotonous and that's always great feedback too. Yeah, yeah. No, we do that same reflection like after each session with a client, whether it aligns with our philosophy and how we conducted that session. It's super important. Um, cool. But yeah, you've you spoken there about how, like, let's say, what your team's going to be doing throughout the season and sort of your values integrated within them. But what do you look for specifically within players? Like what, what mental qualities or behaviours do you look for them to have or try to develop? Um, so any Rocket League player out there listening to this will be able mm. to, you know, develop those mental qualities you're talking about. Yeah, definitely. So this is like, this is going to be a fun question because I feel like I can really lean into my own biases here. And, and, and so I'll run you through an exact example. So I remember um, I was looking for my second team. You know, I, I came off a reasonably successful season with, with, with my prior team. And uh, this team hit me up. They, they, in fact, they should message me twice. Like, hey, you know, are you looking for a coaching gig at this stage? I was completely into my school teaching. And I thought, you know what? It's a bit of a hobby, so I'll do it. And um, I, I finally spoke with the team and I kind of met them. And, um, and yeah, and, and it all seemed quite nice just chatting. And then I eventually went up to some of the um, pros that I've been chatting to. And I basically asked them, hey, what do you know about these players? And they kind of gave me some feedback. Oh, this this bloke's all right. He's a bit interesting. You might have trouble with him. And I was like, that's quite, you know, that's, that, that's an interesting perspective to take it all in. But then I remember this one player, Amphis, who I'm still teaming with now. In fact, we've been teamed for over two and a half years now. It's been, been oh. ridiculous, but, but uh, it's been a long coach, coach, coachy relationship. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I remember I, I looked at him and, and, and what I really admired about him was, First of all, he was hungry and passionate at the game. And I think every coach can resonate with that. It's like, hey, when you have someone with a lot of drive, a lot of passion, it's like, that's already like the easiest job done, right? Like, you know, they're going to come out screaming to training and that enthusiasm is always fun. I, I recognize that he was quite innovative in that he was very... And you'll see this a lot with younger pros in Rocket League. You always, you know, in fact, there's actually a Reddit thread just the other day. Why is it that all the crazy mechanical kids are like, 16 like why isn't it that you got some 25 year old you know doing this off the wall crazy plays and i feel like so some of these kids they just they, you know they, they see the meta 
they they grab all these you know these hot new things and they you know and i guess their kid brains and, and kid muscles just they just they just they just run away with it right yeah, and, he, yeah. and, he, and he had that to a t and i remember seeing him being like you know I just, I just told him like straight up, I was like, Hey, you're doing stuff that I don't see the current pros doing, but I do see like, this is an emergent thing. And he's like, yeah, you know, I just love to get on and grind and play. And I remember just like, you know what? I, all I can see is nothing but potential, right? He's, he's hungry to play. He's very resilient. Um, he had a, um, he's, he's currently a soccer player or football player. I should say, sorry. (laughs) So yeah, so he's currently a football player. So he's already familiar with working a team environment. He understands what it feels like to be, you know, in, in, in a competitive environment as well. Mm. Um, So there's a lot of skills that I can, I could, you know, tap into there because not all gamers have that, right? Like their video game is probably the very first team environment that they've been in. Right. And so those are real qualities that, 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 that I looked for, you know, this sort of this, uh, someone who was willing to innovate, hungry and passionate about the game and was just ready to be part of a team and, and, and work with a team to win. And so for me, it's like, hey, if you've got all that, let's work together on the rest. And, and it's been brilliant so far. It's not to say that it's all been rainbows and lollipops, but you know, it, it's been saying that that's been fantastic. And he, and in a lot of ways, he hasn't lost it, right? Like he's always looking for ways to innovate and everything else. And I've sort of really gravitated to that. So, um, but that being said, and, and I will add this a bit of caveat, right? I recognize that works really well for me. You know, I resonate with players like that. And I know for maybe for some other coaches, that could be really confronting having, you know, this sort of this boundless energy, like this go, 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 this, you know, like we're going to, we're going to run with it. We're going to try all this cool stuff that can be really destabilizing for some coaches. So, you know, I guess to anyone listening there is, you know, you probably will find that certain players you'll gel better with others and and not some. Right. And, mm. I, and I think that's something you just have to embrace. I know from a school teaching perspective, like I've been told by some school teachers, like, Hey, you've got this child coming up. You're probably not going to like them. You're going to be ripping your hair out. And I've had a fantastic year within the very next year. Right. It's just, we just gel in different ways. And, and, you know, and, and, and as a coach or a manager, whoever you are, you can try to accommodate to as um, many sort of personalities or characteristics as you can. But yeah, at the end of the day, that resonated for me. Uh, and I'm sure different personalities will resonate for other people as well. Mm. I'm interested to just talk about that, about how, mm. you know, these mental qualities that they should try to develop or try to possess, because I don't know whether it's similar in Rocket League, but I did a study in um, in football and even when I was coaching beforehand and, you know, players were very much happy being uh, a skillful player, a mechanically good player, for example. Um, mm. But that's not everything to make it to the top level. And my study was highlighting the, the, the mental qualities, the psychological qualities you need alongside mm. being a mechanically good player. And sometimes it's even more important um oh, absolutely just a, yeah, just a mechanically good player to make it to that top level so it, is that sort of a similar experience in rocket league oh, massively no you, you've yeah. you've almost hit it in fact you put it in a, in a better way i'm kind of jealous in fact i'm gonna i'm gonna sound <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna sound evil here but basically i'll see that i'll see someone with just nothing but raw potential their mechanics are through the roof and seemingly they seem to stumble over every obvious hurdle and it's almost like i kind of get frustrated i'm like what a waste of talent like i mean and you know and i know and like that's why i said i'm gonna sound a bit evil here (laughs) i'm just like i'm just like hold on like you mean to tell me that 
you didn't realize punching on with your teammates wasn't the best way to move forward. And they're like, oh, I thought if I told them where to go, that would help them out. It's just like, oh, wow. You know, it's all those mental qualities, right? I mean, um, For sure. you know, I, I, I've, I've, I've met players before, you know, even outside of Rocket League where, um, you know, brilliant, intelligent, um, just learn super quick, pick up things as, as you know, it's just almost like a coach's dream in a lot of ways. But then those mental qualities, like take like resilience, right? As soon as there's a little bit of stress, pressure, maybe a poor result, the wheels just fall off and, and you know, you're scrambling to put them back together. And and, and so I, I do actually think, and I, and I fully agree with you there, I do believe that those mental qualities are, are essential. And, and, and I think there's no way to go about it. And especially at, 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 with how esports is moving forward now, and especially I, I noticed in Rocket League, I feel like, the stress is almost getting heightened, right? There's more on the line. You know, there's bigger contracts, bigger orgs, bigger viewership. The prize pools are growing. More and more people are making this their actual living, you know, whereas Rocket League six years ago, it might've just been like, hey, I'm a bit of a uni student. This is just a part-time gig that I'll do for a little bit, right? You know, I'd, I'd almost imagine that it's more of a necessity than ever before. And I would imagine with the way esports is going, that those mental qualities are going to become more important, which is why I do believe we're seeing more and more buy-in in across large orgs to get some kind of psychologist in, you know, e even finding all these support staff or even certain paraprofessionals to join in to support players in these ways, because we recognize that, Hey, like, you know, these are tentative to the success of a team. Yeah. Um, so it's completely not surprising at all that if that's what the study sort of, you know, drew conclusions to. For sure. To be fair, despite everything we've just said, mechanics is uh, still important because uh, me, <laughs> me, and, uh, me, me and John, we play our Rocket League quite a bit as well. And, oh, uh, awesome. you know, I was, I was looking into, I was doing a needs analysis on, uh, on Rocket League not long ago. And um, yeah. obviously I looked into the competition and like anyone can like sign up. So I was like, come on, we need to, we need to get two together. But <laughs> we, are, we are terrible. I can't aerial yet. So uh, I don't oh, think. Oh, uh, you'll get there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> John prides himself on being a game sense player. <laughs> Yeah, no, yeah, definitely. And, and, yeah, and mechanics are, are are quite huge. So I'll give you a bit of an, an analysis of what I've thought of Rocket League. And again, this is just from my own perspective, sort of, I guess, an OCE coach's lens. It, I could be wildly off, but this is sort of how I've assessed it. So in the past, most of the successful LAN teams were often the players that weren't hyper mechanical. In fact, okay. um, anyone who's, who's very familiar with competitive Rocket League knows that Turbo Pulsar is the four-time world champion. That's incredible, right? Four yeah. world championships. No other player, I don't think, will ever get that again. If they do, that's just mind-boggling. But Turbo isn't really known for his mechanics. In fact, um, he's, he's just, he played solid. He played on a team that was also just quite solid um, in terms of how they played the game. And, and that was fine, right? Because I, I guess, you know, when, when, you, when you're a mechanical player, you have to be very precise. Everything's deliberate. So I guess when you're on land on a foreign setup and, you know, the, the whole context is different, um, it, it, might, it might just be that little bit challenging to um, pop off mechanically. There were those players that could, but they were sort of quite rare. But now we're sort of seeing, and I feel like it's been sort of maybe in the last year and a half, two years-ish that, that we've seen this emergence of sort of like the real jack of all trades. We're kind of seeing like, hey, if you've kind of got like those mental qualities that we really value, you've, you've got that 
you know, that professional work ethic. You've got all, all these qualities working for you, like really are the jack of all trades. They've got the mechanics too. These players are really starting to take off. And, and, I, and I find it absolutely awesome because I remember, um, you know, I remember I was watching a team called Moist um, and I was really interested in, 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 in how they practice, how they conducted themselves at land. And, um, and I was actually there at London when they actually won the land. And I was, I was beyond impressed that it almost felt like they were hitting bullseyes everywhere they went. Like they really conduct themselves professionally. They really switched on and engaged with how the game was shaping up and what they needed to do. Their mechanics were, you know, so, you know, absolute top class. Right. And I was like, this is a Jack of all trades team. They have to win this major and they dropped to a lower bracket. And I thought, oh, maybe I spoke too soon, but then they just cleaned up in the lower bracket and won the whole event anyway. And I thought, okay, like this would be really cool to see if this is sort of where Rocket League is, is moving forward. Like I do wonder if like, hey, just having those solid, those solid players is, is becoming, I guess, outdated. Like you do have to be a jack of all trades to win it yeah. now. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I suppose it's uh, sort of similar. I always make ties to traditional sports because obviously that's my, that's, that's my background. Yeah, and uh, you know everyone sort of needs to buy in together. And I don't know how many roster changes you've had, but do you ever find um, you'll you'll get a player and he's trying to flex his mechanics a lot? Do you have to like hone that in a little bit? Because I suppose it's similar to football where everyone needs to be aligned with sort of mm. the press, you know, with the third man, second man, first man to to the ball. Um, mm. Yeah, do you have to hone that in? Like, has that ever happened to you where a certain player comes in, has quite a big ego and wants to flex his mechanics a lot and that's sort of a detriment to the team sometimes in terms of position? <laughs> yeah. Um, it's a great question because it's um, I, I actually, I've, it's funny because I've never actually really experienced it. Maybe I could be oblivious to it. Maybe some yeah, of the, yeah. maybe some of my poorer places have because I, I have been sensitive to it. But I feel like within my team working environments, I, I feel like as if, um, you know, I, I've been very fortunate that by the most part, they've been quite, you know, conducive, right? And, and, and I feel like, you know, within like a small team of three, when someone sort of gets a little bit ahead of it, like, hey, I'm, I'm too good for this roster, it, the yeah. thing fizzles out so quickly. Okay. And, I, and I have heard of stories of teams, even land teams in Rocket League, having those issues like someone sort of feels a little bit outclassed by maybe their latest you know youngest pickup right and i've heard of heard of things like that um but yeah no i, I think it's something to be you know to definitely be sensitive about because i feel like you know from some of the stories i've heard where that does um happen and and i, and I do believe because roster changes happen all the time right yeah. and i feel like you know some teams never feel truly secure like you know sometimes players like hey i felt like i was sort of the third wheel or, or the odd man out or sort of like you know i was i was you know inadequate to my teammates and therefore you know um you know maybe they they had a like some underlying stress that prevented them from performing well because they felt like their head was on the chopping block at any near loss that they had or vice versa. I've heard of stories where like a player's just been like, Oh, well, you know, I'm only on this roster because I was the only one available. I'm superior. It's my way or the highway. Right. And I've heard that's caused a lot of grief. Whereas I've sort of had the luxury of every team that I've joined. It's been like a real mutual agreement. And, and I think the only time where it hasn't been an agreement was when we picked up, Torsos when he when he got kicked from his team 
And he was totally fine. Like he sort of came in and was like, hey, look, I recognized I got kicked. I just want to do what's best for the team because I just want to be on a successful team. So in that way, I feel as though I've been very lucky. But then again, I know when I used to play sport and I hope none of my footy mates are listening to this, but you know, there was always someone, you know, who, who, um, you know, you're just like, Oh, can my teammate just pull his head in just for one moment? Um, (laughs) But I guess that's, you know, that, that, that's a casual sporting environment. Whereas I've been very fortunate that it hasn't, hasn't, hasn't hit me too hard, but I'd love to know your experience. Is, is this been something that you've noticed in, in esports? Um, you know, that's comparable to traditional sports or yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, I, I have experienced it. Um but, in casual yeah. gaming, he's the he's the one, uh Gemma. He's the <laughs> is he? <laughs> he's the one. I, I, I'm the IGL, so so when you guys play twos together in Rocket League, John, you're just copying it all the time, are you? For the yeah. oh, no, to be fair, my brother, my brother's the uh, the guy who flexes his mechanics. That's yeah. it, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that is. Yeah. We, we have good game sense. Him, yeah, yeah. Oh, that guy. Every boy, as soon as it gets into the air, he's flying at it. <laughs> um, but I want to, on that roster change point, I did have a question. Yeah. Mm. What? Obviously, it's very common across all these sports. Among these podcasts that we're having, we're always talking about how frequent roster changes are. Yeah. What do you think that it would be extremely beneficial if you could potentially keep the same group together for a number of years? Like, how beneficial do you think that could be? Or do you think keeping it fresh is is beneficial? Like, what's your standpoint on that? Yeah, you've hit like one of the ultimate conundrums. In fact, again, this is a this is a current topical conversation um, in the in the Rocket League community. So for me, the advice that I've given a lot of players in the past is, you know, they they've told me it's like, hey, you know, we've had a really bad scrim couple of weeks. So and so, you know, he's, he's been very difficult to get along with. I, I, you know, it feels like I'm working a job. I'm just not liking it all this and that. And there's so many reasons, you know, you can list them forever. And I've kind of brought it back to some players and be like, Hey, look, you know, this is a new roster. And just from an education standpoint, do you think you will learn or maybe develop your skills in what it feels like to work through issues? Because that's an important skill, right? So I know in, in a school setting and particularly with young children, you never want to intervene with conflict too early. And, and that's going to sound really dodgy. I'm probably going to get reported for this. So I'm sorry to my te- you know, to my register if, you, if you're going to come at it, but it's, it, it is for good reason. So let's say you see two students having a bit of a conflict. It might just be like a verbal altercation. Maybe they'll confused at how to share the coloring pencils. Let's just say a really common dispute. It's very easy for teachers to go in and jump in and be like, I'm going to solve this. You're going to share. You're going to have it five minutes. They're going to have five minutes. And you've solved the issue, right? There's peace. The students are happy with it. However, you've robbed them of the experience of working through that for themselves. And I think it's, I think, yeah, yes, you, you've calmed it in the meantime. However, you don't know what disputes are going to get up to outside of your supervision. Could be on the playground outside of school, right? And I've sort of taken that logic, and this is going back to Dewey's continuity of experience philosophy that I really like, is that you have to consider what other experience are involved within the immediate experience. And so for me, when it comes to roster change, I'm like, Hey, I do believe there's a lot of value in 
working through this, getting, you know, what's it like being in, you know, and, and obviously, you know, I'm not saying like, hey, every toxic environment, just push through and you'll work it out. That, 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 that's, that's not the case. And I'll get to that in a moment. But, you know, there, there is benefits, there is learning experiences. And I do believe that there's a lot of development, not only of prof- like of your professional conduct, but also your, 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 your character development as well. In, in working through these ones, whether you're working with a coach, a psych, or even just the players themselves. Now, with that being said, I do believe there is a bit of an event horizon that you sort of hit that tipping point where, sure, you might be able to pull it back together. You maybe might be able to repair some things, but it would just be beneficial to let the, let the roster go. And again, when I've offered that to many, many players in the past or teams that have approached me, um, I don't know where that line of the sand is. Like you have to figure that out. Like I know, for example, like I'm an educator by trade, you know, I'm doing my research masters at the moment. Right. So, you know, I'm confident in my ability in coaching, training and education, but when it comes to like, you know, issues related to mental health or, or well-being or anything that a psychologist or, or a counselor might address, you know, that's beyond my scope of my practice. Right. So I understand that I'm going to hit, certain limitations there and and i think you know players ought to recognize like hey you know maybe you don't have the skill set the time the energy whatever it is to work through certain issues and maybe it's better to sign a new team or maybe the opposite's true maybe it's actually beneficial to work through it because the stress and uncertainty with forming a new team is is quite challenging so i think it's something that the line of the sand is 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 i imagine different for everyone and and making that value assessment is incredibly challenging because I, I do believe that there have been some teams that have very much prematurely tossed up the roster, you know, any little hurdle that they chucked it away. And then as, you know, as some people in the Rocket League scene are talking, there are some teams that have just let the thing like effectively die out on its feet. Right. So uh, it, it's very challenging. I wish I could give a better answer other than, Hey, it's a complicated thing. And, and you know, and I do believe that there are benefits um, to both and finding that assessment is, is, is really challenging, but I, I will harp onto that right is if you're in a if you're in a coaching position right um don't rob the players or the team that experience of what it's like to work through these things right you know before you toss i guess the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak it's it's really beneficial to practice some of those skills um certainly yeah those are key learning moments in, in their careers and even in their lives you know these are sort of potential skills that they can develop for, for life outside of esports as well you know uh, mm. sort of conflict management and problem solving and yeah definitely yeah it even goes to like you know with our relationships with our partners like similar to that you know it's not all sunshines and rainbows <laughs> it's, uh, it's, there's a lot of conflict yeah. sometimes and it's about working yeah, through definitely. that which makes the relationship stronger yeah. so uh, yeah so yeah there's, there's ties and everything <laughs> yeah, yeah definitely I was just oh, yes, gonna sir. say. I was just gonna say. I do have one question for you in terms of like. So we've talked a lot about mm-hmm. the players and sort of the demands that they go through. But I'm a firm believer that the coach, you know, himself is a sort of performer in their own right. So, mm. as a coach, what are some demands that you sort of experience on on a sort of day to day basis? What are some you know potential stresses or you know, oh, challenges yeah. that you sort of go through? I think it's definitely important to speak yeah. about that because yeah. <laughs> yeah massively i mean there's so many things that that can hit you and, and i think a lot of people do forget that like hey coaches can have off days as well right you know like you know a lot of people are like oh you know the, the players had an off day an off week maybe their, their split hasn't been too good and i feel like you know coaches aren't immune to that as well right i mean and so i've only just become really sensitive to that 
fairly recently in my career. And I guess it's because, you know, when you sort of hit, I guess, the tippy top and, you know, it was in 2020, you know, when I was part of Ground Zero, we were virtually undefeated. Like we were a very hard team to sort of dethrone last last season. Um, you know, again, reasonably quite successful coming into this season. It's it, it, quite the same-ish. Um, but then, you know, I've noticed that recently we've had some hurdles, some hiccups, right? And, you know, I, and I'm not immune to that stress. Like I, I know that um, one of our worst performances, I'll, I'll just give you an example with our practice right now. So um, Power, the team that I'm on, we have been doing really well in scrims. I, I, I'm comfortable in saying we're the best scrim team. I've, I've heard some other players and teams give that feedback as well. We recently won a, a little um, land that we held in Australia um, and we performed quite well in that on, on the tail end of it, which is great. So we ended up winning that one. And then when we had the, our, um, our, our um, regional um, event that happened, right? And this is for points to make it to the next land. Uh, we really fell flat on our face. And I remember really ruminating and really wearing that loss because uh, it's it, it's funny, right? And this is sort of a stress that, that you can have is that you feel like your preparation's on point. You're ticking all the boxes. You know, my assessments, you know, if I showed you my spreadsheet, I'd have green ticks spread out kind of everywhere. It's like, yep, all our ducks are in a row. And then when it comes to the execution, it falls flat. And the reason why that bothers me in particular most is because it's like, where did I go wrong, right? Like, let's say we had like some poor performances in scrims. We had some gaps. We had some things we didn't fully address. At least you can hang your hat on and be like, oh, well, I do know we had these gaps throughout our preparation, right? Let's address these things. But when you're sort of like giving yourself thumbs up all around and the, and the project falls flat, you're like, well, what is it, right? And I guess that comes back to that uncertainty that coaches or teams can experience, right? And, you know, sometimes, you know, in the world of coaching, I especially feel that that is where it's like, does this define my career? Like, you know, I've been like, yeah, go, go, go. We're doing so well. And then all of a sudden it falls flat on its face. And it's like, Oh, is that just, am I done now? That's it. Like, you know, am I out of the game? Right. And so, and, you know, and that really catastrophizes the, you know, the situation. And I know a lot of players aren't immune to that. They're like, Oh, guess I'm washed. I haven't performed. Right. Um, and, you know, and so that's one end of the spectrum. The other one can be quite minor. Like sometimes, you know, I can be, so let's say I've done some research and, and Oliver, I think I'm similar to you on this. Like a lot of my initial research was on literature on conventional sports, because yeah. I think the, you know, the literature is fairly robust. You can find excellent resources everywhere. Whereas you find that esports specifically is still in its infancy. So I've drawn a lot of my stuff. Like, let's say it's all about cultivating a team culture and working through team goals, right? I might borrow something from conventional sport. Um, so let's say I find something online. It's a, it's a study that's really resonated with me. I feel like it aligns with my practice and I found that the education language and maybe coaching and sports language shares a lot of continuity. So I'm like, yep, I gel with this. I think I understand it. I'm confident in my ability to implement this and the research has given me green lights. This is going to be great. And sometimes when you offer these these things to the team or you try to implement in your practice and you don't get that player buy-in that's like another area of stress right and and i think for me right like i I, i'm I'm a coach that would never penalize or force or be very didactic and authoritarian with what i implement right because as soon as you sort of don't get that buy-in and you force players to go through it right that's just another catastrophe 
um, waiting to happen. So, um, you know, and, and I think juggling that right about like what you bring to the team, what you innovate, what you push, what hills do you choose to die on in terms of how you program, right? Um, all these things, you know, and, and I think like the, the center of the bullseye for me is like, there's so much uncertainty in how you navigate that space, right? Whereas when I'm in, when I'm at school, right, I'm teaching a curriculum. It's a very explicit and easy assessment task. You know, your market students are working towards that level. They've achieved it or not. At the end of the year, you finally, or end of the term, whatever it is, you produce a report and that's what you hang your practice on. Whereas, you know, when everyone's sort of battling and competing and you don't, you know, and it's a real rat race of, of, of how you get one up on each other, um, it, it, it's hard. And I, I remember reading a study, um, I forgot who wrote about it, but it was sort of this, it was talking about how, because esport coaching is online, there's this idea that you're sort of always available as well. And I've yeah. fallen, I've fallen to that trap. There's been a few times where I've been so concerned about the team that I've, I've seen my discord calling at 1am and I'm in bed and I've actually gotten up. I'm in my underwear. I walk to the computer and I answer the call and I talk for about maybe 45 minutes. Right. Yeah. And that's a weird thing. And, and like, and I'm like, yeah, that call was good. I'll walk off. But then I check the clock and I'm like, it's 2am. This isn't healthy. And so, you know, and so there's a lot of work-life balances too, that I feel like that just naturally comes with, I think, esport coaching as well. Um, so yeah, so and 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 I and I do believe that these are fairly um, universal. Maybe not just you know specific to me. That's a super good point you brought up there about you know work being online and that sort of being you always available. Um, uh, yeah, that's a really good point. Mm. But yeah, I, I wanted to ask you sort of. You seem like you've got a lot on your plate. Um, you know, with your job and then the esports coaching as well. You know, how do you sort of disconnect and what's your view on? Self-care, I know, you, I know you're waking up in the middle oh. of the night for Discord calls. There's only a few times. Yeah, yeah. Have you reflected on that? Like. <laughs> yeah, no, massively. So, and, and this is something that I think about all the time. And, and it's been, it's something that I'm still figuring out, right? I think like, you know, you've got, we've all got unique contexts and, you know, like I, for example, I, I live in a house with my partner. We're paying off a mortgage. Um, you know, I'm working part-time in education still. Um, I'm still studying at university. Um, I've picked up some casual work here and there as, as well, where, wherever it's available, because it's just, it's just very convenient, that kind of work. Plus I'm doing esports and all the things that that comes with, right? And obviously I love coming onto podcasts and getting involved with the community as well. So I sort of, you know, spread myself out quite a fair bit. And I feel like sometimes having, for me, having i guess distinct boundaries about how i use my time has been an absolute lifesaver so for example i've got five email addresses and i and you know and 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 the and me of five years ago i i, I could hardly keep on top of one yeah. and so you know and and i fell down the rabbit hole i'd check all my emails i'd respond to everything i'd, I'd yes to every job i'd you know be running around the house fixing this doing that right and um and and i quickly learned that you know, life is never without its issues, you know, and, and I, and I feel like if you sort of run for like, you know, you, you're going to be on top of everything, everything's going to be solved and you're going to have that moment of clarity where like, there's absolutely no loose ends. I feel like that's, um, I've quickly learned in my adult life that it's just quite unrealistic. And so managing my time, managing my sort of my professional boundaries 
is absolutely essential. So sometimes, it, you know, sometimes that involves me telling my work. It's like, hey, by the way, um, I'll only respond to emails from 7 a.m. to 4 p.m. Monday, Thursday, and Friday. And that's it, you know. And I said that, and I said that's when I'll respond to these emails. So if you have a, a question, query, or anything like that, these will be my hours here. Or sometimes, you know, when I when I talk with an esports org and I'm talking about um, my contracted hours, like, hey, this is like what my engagement is going to look like. This is the best that I I I can offer, and really being explicit and really and sometimes it, it can sound a bit, you know, um, you know. It can be, it can come off a bit harsh, basically, you know, like being explicit with organizations about your boundaries, because in esports, it almost feels like if you're just a yes man, you'll, you'll get there, right? You know, you can take on any job, but then again, um, it's just, it's not healthy. It's not sustainable. I've seen people get into the region um, and, and I won't say anything just yet, because just in case of people listening, but I've seen people like falling asleep at the most inappropriate times. And I sort of asked like, hey, mate, like, what's your week look like? They're like, oh, I'm expected to stream here. I set up this and I run this event and then I go over here and then I have to work my job. And on top of that, I'm studying and I'm also failing my studies. So I have to like up my study some more. And I'm like, so is that like sustainable right and i've been very sensitive to that so i think for me yeah having real distinct professional boundaries looking after my mental health in, in, in the best ways possible and you know i know it's a bit of a, a cliche now but even like I, I try to find at least 10 minutes a day to practice my mindfulness or something like that right um you know trying to incorporate these things into my practice and and to be fair this has been through trial and error like two years ago i was burning the candle on both ends and i realized that it was not only um, while I thought more was always more, sometimes less is always more. And in fact, I, I noticed that some of these detriments were coming about solely because I was overworking myself or not balancing my time in the correct way possible. So yeah, it's something you've got to be very sensitive to. I, I, I certainly believe that. I think it's a, it's an ongoing battle. Like myself, I, I experience it, you know, and I'm constantly having that reflection. Like I find myself quite in a, I, on Sunday, I'll plan my week out. And I'm very much, I'm similar to you, like working two jobs and mm. I spread myself so thin and I find myself, I'm constantly working with guilt. Like, <laughs> oh, me too. Could, could, I, could I have done more? And it's like, yeah. when I'm relaxing, I'm not working. I, I feel guilty for not doing that. Oh, and uh, good, you know, my, my transition time from one job to the other is like in the shower. That's your break time. You know, you know what? I'm gonna. I'd love to know your your perspective on this one. So, and I've only just noticed this particularly this year for me, uh, because I've been doing my my masters and I've been researching like crazy, working two jobs, working on the house. I I I thought before myself, I'll treat myself. I'm I'm gonna buy. I don't play video games anymore, but maybe I'll try, um, like a little hobby. Like maybe I might try VR or something like that. I've I've bought the thing, I've got all the bells and whistles for it, and I've hardly touched it. Yeah. Solely because as soon as I put that thing on, I'm like, I shouldn't be doing this. I should be working on something else. I'm just like absolutely riddled with guilt, and I don't know <laughs> how to organize it. In fact, it was wasn't until the other day, and I, I find the timing funny. Uh, we had a big storm where I'm from in Victoria, and we had a lot of um, you know, trees sort of come down and everything. So I spent the whole day, all morning, just chopping up trees into firewood because they're all fallen down. So I did that, and I, my body was shot. And I finally walked around. And I've got an outdoor couch. I laid on the couch, and that was the first time where I was just like, you know what? I don't feel guilty, and I'm finally <laughs> in the zone. 
just doing nothing and it was beautiful no music wasn't on my phone i just sat there just staring out into space and it was my first time where i've been like oh this is so this is what it's like to not feel guilty just to have some downtime so i'm trying to re-tap into that one and i feel like maybe it's got to do with that grind cycle and maybe that guilt is the reason why we can manage so much on our plate. Like I know there's been a few times where I feel a bit guilty and I'm like, you know what, that's it. Time to smash out all my uni. Let's get ahead. I'm going to do, you know what? I'm going to do all my pre-planning for the, for the scrims a day early. That way I can manage my time better. It's, it's funny how it's such, um, it's such a rabbit hole, but uh, yeah, no, it's, it's an interesting perspective that you said that <laughs> you go through it too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's a good topic to talk about though, because I suppose lots of people are going through the same thing. So, you know, they're not alien. <laughs> yeah, um, definitely. But yeah, no, obviously coming towards the end of the podcast. Um, yeah. In this sort of season two that we're having, um, we've got like a new segment where we ask the previous guest to ask the current guest a question. Um, so mm-hmm. last week we had Alan Regin Pedersen on, who's a Danish professional CSGO player. Uh, for team endpoint and he asked you coach 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 Ooh, yeah. Yeah, this coach. is cool i like this i didn't know yeah. this game on i'm excited all righty he's asked something yeah he yeah. asked you and he, he he didn't know who was coming on so i suppose that makes it even yeah. more interesting no that, that's at the height fine. of your career is there anything you would have changed oh goodness me he's he's asked a good question yeah what would i have changed i i guess for me hindsight's always 2020 right and 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 i think for me you know there there were some things like you know like 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 our team sort of you know fell off in a, in a period right so we had our peak we were kicking goals left right and center and there was no end in sight to it it's just like well who's going to challenge us like we're just killing it and i think for me um you know the most fascinating position that, that I sort of took the players take and, and, and myself included, right. Is at what point it's almost like, um, like let's say someone has a substance addiction, right. And at what point do they finally admit that it's a problem? You know, some people they'll admit it very quickly. Some people go on years and be like, no, no, this is just a hobby of mine. I enjoy it. And then they finally admit it. And, and it's almost like draws continuity to that because there was a time where, scrim starting to fall through our performances weren't as dominant we might drop a game here in fact we actually dropped the series here but we still just won like there were just subtle telltale signs and i remember like i sort of brought up like hey lads do we think we've got a problem here because if we sort of look at the trend over the last maybe two months things are starting to slip no 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 it's all fine it's all good and um you know and i remember like you know and i went through it to so like hey you know what it's fine then maybe a player might flag hey guys i think we might have an issue kind of here there and or whatever it is and so i remember like it's it's quite funny that when the whole team is finally on board it's just like it's almost too late like you know other teams have come up they they've sort of stripped you of your crown and all of a sudden you're sort of in the rubble like oh how did i just fall down here like you know it, it's sort of um it's almost like a I think it's like related to, I guess, like how you identify yourself as a professional, right? Like if you've been winning all, if all you know is being at the top for the last year, you sort of identify as like, Hey, like, you know, I'm the best I've consolidated that spot. Like, this is it, right? This is, this is who I am as a player. This is my dynasty. And when that dynasty starts to shift, um, you know, it's, it's a very hard thing to grapple. So I guess for me to answer that question is I wish 
I was more sensitive to knowing sort of the telltale signs about, hey, like when are the wheels starting to fall off? And the reason why I'm saying 20, you know, hindsight's 2020 is because it was my first time. Like I, I've never experienced what it's like to finally be the top dog and then to feel those, you know, there's people who would bite at your ankles, finally get a good grab of you and sort of sweep you off your feet, right? Um, and so, yeah, and I guess moving forward for me, you know, I'm, and, and this has been such, this has probably been the most pivotal moment of my career I would say in terms of how I conduct my practice now is really being sensitive to like, how do you assess and, 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 and be sensitive to those telltale signs of like, Hey, like are things beginning to slip? And, um, and this is why I'm really fascinated with talking with people who've been at the top, right? It's like, Hey, like when you're at the top, what was it like? And how did it fall off? And, uh, and, and, and after going through that experience, I now can understand why Mike Tyson was the best of his game. And he was so good that he stopped training and then he lost his next boxing match. Like he, like, like not, not to say we got ego and stopped scrimming, but like I can, I now understand that the complex that he was going through and maybe why things fell off or why this seems to happen with a lot of professionals. Right. Um, or even like Elvis Presley, right. Like, you know, he was killing it as a musician, like, you know, just the biggest rock star to ever be. And you look at the talent of his career and you're like, Oh God, like, how like get him off the stage like like let's preserve some of his dignity yeah, or yeah. something you know what i mean and, and, and it's a weird thing like 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 where where do you know where to identify that yeah so that's a very long-winded answer to that question but yeah that, that's sort of been like i wish I, I i sort of figured out sooner and in hindsight definitely yeah alan asked that because you know reflecting at this normally we reflect on um when you're doing bad and we're like, what, what do we need to change? But reflecting on on the top is uh, is really important. I think the king of it is mm. is Pep Guardiola at Man City. Um, he's been open about con- that's why I asked you the roster change question about the benefits yeah. of each. He thinks constantly keeping the team fresh and having you know team changes is really important. Keeping the players sort yeah. of hungry and on the, on their toes, bringing in new competition. You know, he's selling players like Raheem yeah. Sterling and things like that. And like, they've been at the top of the game, Premier League greats. And you just think, why did he do that? But he, that's his <laughs> philosophy of, of keeping yeah. at the top. And it's obviously working. So, yes, yeah. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe yeah. looking to him. Uh, yeah. No, definitely. And, and I love finding like, you know, I, I love it when someone's sort of like the antithesis to my position and finding great success because clearly he's found something that's working. So, I mean, yeah, I, I'd, I'd love to, to, to delve in and, and know more about, yeah, his philosophy and, and how, and how he views sort of, yeah, keeping on top of the game. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you have a question for the next guest now, or did you want to think about it and maybe let us know? It's up to you. Oh, okay. I got one. So if the person is coming up next is not a coach, let's say they're an academic or a player or something like that, I'm going to ask them, what do they value most in a coach or even just maybe support staff or paraprofessionals, whatever that might be? I'm wondering, so outside of the, the immediate players, what do they value in that, in that sort of that, that support role, whether it be a manager? coach or anything like that so yeah i'll, I'll be very curious to know and then I'll, I'll keep an ear out for that one as soon as that goes live yeah yeah even to be fair if we get a coach on it could be like the higher ups above them in terms of oh, you know, org leaders because we've found a quite like a, a lot of organizational stress from a coach from from the higher ups so uh so yeah we can uh we, we can even ask them that so 
Yeah, no, it's been a it's, it's been a pleasure chatting to you. That's the uh, end of the podcast. But um, honestly, so yeah, much value geez. for uh, for coaches, for players. Like, I think yeah. even if you're not a Rocket League player, there's so much you can take away from that. So yeah, no, nah, che- yeah. che- cheers for having me on, guys. Um, yeah, so <laughs> I'm so glad we just jumped sort of straight into it. I kind of we were just like idly chatting away, and I saw the no, recordings. No. Like, oh, I'm sure they'll just hit like, oh, we'll splice out and we'll get the start, and we just jump straight into it guys like i I had a lot of fun i mean um i I love these kinds of chats because you know and i don't know if you guys are in the same boat but for me i'm sort of like you know (laughs) i'm in my head a fair bit you know sometimes it's very hard to sort of you know when you're when you're a school teacher you're surrounded by other school teachers me being a coach (laughs) the other coaches that i can talk to are also my competition (laughs) so i can't be like Hey man, I've had a really hard week. Can you tell me a bit about it? Like, oh, he's struggling. I'm going to use that. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to say yeah. like that. But um, now I I do really love these opportunities. And you know, John, massive cheers. Like I know we had a big chat, um, following up your interview. So I, I massively appreciate you getting me on board and and actually um, yeah, like actually following this podcast. I mean, I'm I'm really keen to to see where this goes and and and, and how you run with it. Fantastic. It's been a pleasure to have you on. And, and like you said, these spaces are kind of useful as well to sort of make sense of what's happening in, you know, our careers and sort of a reflective space as well, which is nice. Um, saying things yeah. out loud, you know, and yeah, it's, it's, it's nice sometimes. But, but yeah. Nah, cheers to that. Well, I can't wait to see what clips you bring up as well. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> for sure. Uh, <laughs> uh, but now all your socials and that will be in the description of the YouTube video. Awesome. Yeah. I massively appreciate it. No worries. Okay. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this episode. If you could please share this with your friends or someone you would feel will benefit from it. Most importantly, like, subscribe, comment down <laughs> below any questions or guests you'd like us to get on in the future. Also, go follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Links will be in the description of the YouTube video or find us at Master in the Mind podcast. Thanks for listening and we'll see you in the next one.